This story has been recorded at an Addictive Eaters Anonymous meeting in New Zealand. You can email us at contact at aeanz.org. So as I say, it's the first Friday of the month, so um, our speaker tonight is Leonie. My name is Leonie and I am Benedict Beaver. Hi, Hi Leonie. It's a nice to have me person at meeting. That I can share a bit of my story with. I came into this fellowship many, many years ago. Um, I think I really came to have a look and uh, because I had this secret problem with my eating and uh, a secret life that went on in my head that I didn't know there was ever a solution for, and um, I investigated a lot of different paths prior to getting here. So when I came here, it was just another thing to try. I'll tell you a little bit about what brought me here. When I was very young, I was hiding what I did with food from my family, particularly my mother. And um, did a lot of sneaky eating, which made me feel guilty, but I still did it. And someone had called me fat when I was just at primary school, and I didn't like that. So, you know, my focus from then on was to lose weight and to be thin. By the time I was about 12 or 13, I became aware of what my head was telling me, my thinking. I had this craving for food. And at that age, um, there must have been periods of time when I was able to, uh, shall we say, beat that craving. Because I, um, I, I did well at school and I did well at sport continued to play sport, you know, right through my life. And but I did become very aware of my thinking. And so the secret life became more secret. In addition to that, I had a strong what I thought of as a spiritual hunger. 
a God sort of thing. And um, I did go to church, Sunday school, Bible class, and um, never ever connected with my concept of uh, God at all. Didn't stop me trying. I prayed a lot. Just as I was very ashamed of what I was doing with the food, I was also very ashamed of this spiritual hunger. So as time went on, <coughs> I left school and um, played sport, played representative sport. Much and all, as I enjoyed it, I had the secret thought that it will help me lose weight. That was always there. By the time I left school, I was um, starting to binge on food. But, you know, that was limited insofar as I lived with my parents until I got married at 22. And then the floodgates really did open when I got married because we lived in our own home and I had free reign to do what I liked with the food. And by that time the obsession was there all the time, the craving to eat. So from the moment I woke up in the morning, I would be in a battle trying to keep myself from eating. I started dieting when that girl in primary school said I was fat. I was on a diet from then on until I eventually came here. <coughs> Various diets and I did a lot of reading, um, researched a lot and uh, lost weight from time to time, put it on very quickly again, because I was having to use my willpower all the time to try and keep myself out of the food, because I had this craving all the time. As I say, we got married when I was 22, and um, we had four children after that time. I was still playing tennis. Eventually I changed over to playing squash when we had three children. Tennis started to get a little bit difficult to play with younger children. And um, But always, always, always battling with that craving and that obsession. It affected every area in my life because if I was having what I call a bad day, I'd be so angry at myself because I was weak and hadn't been able to stick to the current diet. I'd take it out on my children or my husband. I was in a bad mood a lot of the time didn't hit my children, but I slayed them with my tongue. 
was having a good day, they were very fortunate because I wasn't cruel to them in the way I had been. But they weren't. Uh, they, those sort of days didn't happen that often. I, uh, one of the things I tried was, um, well, of course, the exercise. Um, it was easier for me not to eat at all than to try and stick to a diet. But I always knew for many, many years, as long as I could stick to the diet, for that day, get to bed at night without going off the diet. It didn't need to be anything very much, it just needed to be a bite of a carrot. If I had the bite of the carrot, it felt to me in my head as though the light switch went down and I had to eat. And for me, eating was very, very, very large binges, enormous amounts of food. And I would convince myself that this was the last time I was ever going to have a binge. And I'd go and buy all the junk food and the cream and the cream cakes and I'd eat the, the uh, baking that I'd done that was in the cake tins. And, uh, and then I'd feel very ill because I ate enormous amounts of food <coughs> during that particular day. And then I'd have to sleep it off, and I knew I was getting drunk on food. I'd have to sleep it off. And then I'd wake up in the next morning feeling basically a ratchet. Honestly, that's what it felt like to me. And um, I'd have to try again. Wouldn't be able to eat until after lunch, anything, because I would feel so physically sick. I used to try and vomit, but it never worked for me. Couldn't do it. <clears throat> so the weight went on. Uh, I started a swimming club and ran that in that home for 18 months. I eventually joined Weight Watchers. Just got to be thin, got to be thin. I had no hope of being free from the craving of the obsession. I became a Weight Watchers lecturer. <coughs> Nothing took care of that craving in my head, and I wasn't able to tell anyone about it. <coughs> I could share a lot on my eating, but I think that's enough to get the picture. It was pretty terrible existence. I'd wake up in the mornings, particularly the last few years before I came here, hopelessness and despair was what I felt. And I used to pray, I prayed to God to get me thin, and he never got me thin. Therefore I had quite a resentment there. So I came to my first meeting here, you know, with some sort of hope, but I didn't hope that there was a solution. I didn't know what the problem was, really, apart from what I thought, which was that God had made a mistake when he made me. Poor me. Couldn't understand why. I was the only person in the world, I thought. 
that thought how I thought and ate as I ate. And uh, at that very first meeting, which was the Wednesday night meeting, um, there is not many people with us, but there were a few people there. Some men, one or two men, and the rest were women. And uh, I wanted to be a fly on the wall. I didn't want to be seen there. This horrible place that I ended up coming to, 12-step program. And um, people were sharing about what they did with food, which was exactly what I did with food. Couldn't believe it. There were other people like me. But there was one person who wasn't doing those things any longer. She used to do them, but through this 12-step program, she hadn't been eating, starving, binging, stealing, and lying, all of which I was still doing. She hadn't had to do that for one year, one day at a time. She also was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and hadn't had a drink or a pill for two years. And she shared very openly about what it had been like for her and how she'd come into the 12-step program and she had found a solution. And I was just blown away by this girl and her story. Partly because, you know, sharing so openly about these, what I thought at the time were disgusting things, you know, throwing food away in public rubbish bins and then going back and getting the food. Now, I never did that, but I certainly threw it away in the rubbish bin at home and would get it back out again and eat it. But she didn't have any guilt or any shame about doing those things. And she um, said that she had this condition and she called it a, a disease or an illness. And I thought, no, no, I'm just a bad person. At the time, that's what I thought, I'm a bad person, I'm a weak person. She said, this is an illness, this is a disease, this is addiction. And um, I thought, well, probably for you, you might think that, but I didn't. I was very attracted to what she had to say. I was very um, taken with these people that were there. They were friendly, they were laughing at each, not at each other, but at what you know, other people had done. And, but they nodded at the same time. They laughed and they nodded because, you know, they had done these things as well. So um, I bought the literature that was available and took it home and gave it to my husband, who didn't know about my struggles. And um, I told him he had to read it. Because of course I read it all before I gave to him. And uh, the next night I rang up this girl 
and I asked her to help me, and I says, tell me what to do. And uh, that was the beginning. That was the beginning of a new life. She told me about what she did. She told me how she had, had to give up the food and stop taking pills and stop you know, drinking alcohol. Because addiction swaps from one thing to another. And I got that. I got that. Much and all, I'm listening to her on the end of the phone and she's telling me these things and I'm dying inside. I thought, yeah, yeah, I get that. If I want to get well, I've got to get all these things up. And of course I didn't have the power to do that. I just didn't. And, you know, for a period of time, I came to realise that and that second step says we have to find a power greater than ourselves to enable us not to become the first one. Basically, through prayer, really. Prayer and hope, I think. And um, I wasn't able to not become the first one for two or three months after I came here. But I started going to Alcoholics Anonymous as well and uh, blow me down if I didn't find I fitted in there just perfectly well too. And I loved it. I loved listening to the men and their stories and the, oh my God, terrible stories. But I totally identified with them about how they thought, how they felt. The fear, the resentments, I totally identified. But you know, many of these people were getting well, they weren't doing those things any longer. And I really, really, really was desperate for it. And uh, two or three months went by and I was still in the food. And I say to my sponsor, this girl, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? Because I was doing everything that she did and everything that was suggested. And she would say to me, Leonie, you're not doing anything wrong. Just keep doing what you're doing. It's a gift. Well, I'm in the food and she's telling me that this is a gift. And that doesn't mean a thing to me at that stage. And yet, how do I get up? What do I have to do? Give me these things to do and I'll get 10 out of 10 doing them and then I'll get it. But it doesn't work like that. But I didn't understand that. I decided I had to do that moral inventory that says in step four <clears throat> because the book that we read from says if you don't clear away the wreckage of the past and get all these secrets out and share them with another human being and your higher power you may never stop eating, drinking, drugging and stay stopped it was the staying stopped that I wanted. I wanted to stay stopped. So um, I thought, well, I've got to do this inventory and I can't possibly do it because I've got secrets that I need to take with me to the grave. And I'm never telling another human being. I thought, well, God knows about it. That's okay. <clears throat> because no, I'm not another person. 
But you know, it was basically I had my arm up the back. I desperately wanted what was here, and I couldn't get it of my own power. So I thought, well, I could do this thing. So I chose the hardest person I could find in my mind to do it with, because I thought that's what I had to do, and made a time to come and share all my past with this man, minister of the church. And I, I did tell my husband that I was going to do this. Probably mumbled that I had to go and talk to him. I wouldn't have been able to be honest. And uh, the day came when I had to do that. I'm still eating. Or maybe two or three days of not eating. And I, I didn't have the courage to do it. And I prayed. In fact, I got down on my knees, I prayed. And said, you know, God, whatever you are, whoever you are, who I never connected with. Just an idea in the head, <coughs> concept. Please give me whatever it takes to do this thing. And so I went and spent, spent several hours, in fact I went more than once, in my recollection, and shared all this stuff. The second or the third time I went, it was really basically going over the same stuff, but you know, it was still giving me a lot of agonies. And um, I shared absolutely everything about my past. And there was stuff there that I was not proud of. There was sexual abuse. There was all the eating, all the lying, the resentments. Well, not mainly resentments. And then, of course, the eating and the other. And it was very, very painful. Very painful. And I know I left there that first day and I had my big book with me and my lunch with me. And I went to Rickon and Bush and sat there and my lunch. And I was in this emotional pain. And which stayed with me for two or three days. And it actually started leaving me when I was sitting in a meeting. I could feel it leaving. But in those three days, I did not have to pick up the first one. And I haven't had to pick up the first one since that day. And that's two decades ago now. And I went out and made those amends, as it says in step eight and nine, because um, I, you know, I knew I had to do it, and that wasn't easy. Um, step six and seven, <coughs> I complicated those in my head for a number of years. Um, it actually says you ask God to remove your defects of character and then let him get on with it. <laughs> and that was just too simple for me. <clears throat> but that's what I do today. Which brings me to steps 10, 11 and 12. So those first nine steps, to my mind, are about admitting those powers, asking the power greater than myself, 
to enable me to do the things I couldn't do, handing my will and life over to that power and trusting that I'd be looked after. And clearing away the wreckage of the past, cleaning it up by making the amends, and um, basically cleaning the slate. So I'm just starting with a, a clean page when you wake up each day. And uh, that's how it is for me. So steps 10 are, 10 says, you know, when I'm wrong, promptly admitting it, make the apology, make the amends, and don't do it again. Step 11, <coughs> to me, steps to 10, 11, and 12, particularly 11, because um, to me, 12 run, you know, is just as a result of doing all these steps, but improving our conscious contact with this power is something I continue to do. And my concept of a higher power has changed <coughs> tremendously since I've been here. And um, step 12 is carrying the message which is basically living a clean and sober life um, based on living in a spiritual way according to these 12 steps. There's only one thing I would add um, to this, my experience in particular, is that craving and that obsession that I had for all those years and, and when I came here and in those months it did not leave me for probably two or three years after that gift of recovery was given to me. It was still there in my head. And it really helped me to keep it in the day, just for today, just for this 24 hours. Don't pick up the first one. Go to your meeting. See what you can do to help someone else. And if you put your head on the pillow at night without picking up the first one, irrespective of if you've broken your leg during the day, you've had a great day. And that is my experience. And, you know, there came a time I had no expectation, I had no idea that I would ever be free of that thinking. But the day came and it just wasn't there any longer. And it's never returned. So I just keep doing what I've always done since I've got here. And it works just fine. Thanks, Olivia. Thanks.